Romans chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. I'm going to read down through verse 11. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. For we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, and forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them which are contentious, do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation, and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. For though there is no respect of persons, but God. Titled the message this morning, Facing the Judgment of God. Facing the Judgment of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege we have to open your precious word. Thank you, Father, for the instruction it gives us. And Lord, I pray that as we look at this passage of scripture this morning, that you would speak to our hearts, encourage us, challenge us, help us to rejoice in what we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. He paid our sin debt for us. He took our judgment upon himself that we might be set free from the penalty of sin, which is death, the power and corruption of sin. We can be sanctified through your word and one day be glorified together with you. So have your will in your way. Speak to hearts. I pray that there be any in our midst today who have never been born again. Father, I pray that the Spirit of God would rest their hearts in conviction and repentance. Have your will and way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in Romans chapter 2. We have some facts given us concerning judgment. And this judgment is regulated by a just and righteous God. One commentator said this, Most people are mental cowards when they meet the word judgment. They are afraid of it, probably because of instinctive guilt. But it is here, and it must be faced with the facts, or it will be suffered by us, unquote. Judgment is here. We all make judgments. The world's full of judgment. In any world regulated by intelligence, this commentator goes on to say, there must be a place of compensation to keep both a natural and a moral balance. That moral balance must be on the one hand gain and on the other hand loss. Or on the one hand reward and the other hand retribution. And we can see this in nature. For example, in 1958, Mao Zedong, who became the dictator of 
now communist China, had what he called, he was going to, ca he called the, um, what did he call his experiment before, um, I can't remember the name for it, there's a name for it somewhere, but anyway, but he ordered all the sparrows in China to be killed because they ate too much grain. And you know that people need grain for bread and you know, food. But it brought about one of the most, the greatest environmental disasters in the history of mankind. Let me read this to you. It says, environmental disasters are common in the history of mankind, but not many can compare to the now, the, the one which began in 1958 in China. Mao Zedong, the leader of the People's Republic of China, decreed that all sparrows in the country were to be killed. He decided that China could do without pests like sparrows. Mao thought that sparrows ate too much grain, and it seemed rational to him for all sparrows to be killed. According to Mao, sparrows were getting in the way of the economic development of the People's Republic of China. During the next three years, 45 million people died in a famine caused by economic mismanagement, environmental disaster, and state terror. Mao undertook several massive campaigns in an attempt to modernize and improve life in China. The Four, tests, four te Pests campaign was what it's called was one of these drives, part of the great leap forward, yeah, uh, between 58 and 62. Killing all sparrows was part of this campaign. People were mobilized to eradicate the birds. They used beating drums to scare the birds from landing, forcing them to fly until they died of exhaustion. People tore down sparrow nests and shot sparrows down from the sky. The result of the campaign was to push the birds close to extinction in China. This is no, there is no information how many sparrows there were in China in 58, but if there was one for each person, there would have been more than 600 million. Hundreds of millions were killed. This led to a problem the next year. It was noticed that insect infestation of crop fields had soared. Sparrows ate pests such as locusts. And after the campaign, the locusts lost their major predator. This meant that killing the sparrows was counterproductive. The sparrows, it seemed, didn't only eat grain seeds, they also ate insects. Locust populations boomed and they ate everything in their path. Grain production, more rural areas collapsed and a famine began. People ran out of things to eat and millions starved. The official number of fatalities from the Chinese government was 15 million. However, it's estimated by some scholars that the fatalities were as high as 45 or 78 million. The Great Famine remains a taboo topic in China more than 50 years later. People started to eat each other. People ate their parents. Or people, ate, or kids, people ate their kids. Kids ate their parents. Thousands of people were murdered for food. In his book, Tombstone, Chinese journalist Yang Yishang estimated the deaths of over 36 million people. His book was quickly banned in China. Mao ordered the end of the campaign against sparrows, replacing them with bedbugs in the ongoing campaign against the four pests. The aim of the campaign was to increase agricultural output, but during the Great Leap Forward, rice yields substantially decreased. Mao, maybe Mao wanted to conquer nature. How have his policies led to a famine which, in which millions of lives were lost? You see, we see even that balance in nature. And, you know, if, if, if Mao was simply giving people liberty, they would have fed themselves without killing the sparrows, obviously. Excuse me. But, and so there is this judgment that we all have to face. And as we think about the the idea or the fact of judgment, and, we're, and of course we're talking about the judgment of God here this morning. Notice 
several things. First of all, uh, it considers personal guilt. In verse 1 it says, thou for, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For therein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. Thou art inexcusable. The word inexcusable means that cannot be defended. Cannot be defended. Yeah, the psalmist said in Psalm 39 verses 4 and 5, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth. Mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily every man at his best state is altogether vanity. In Psalm 51, verse 5, the psalmist said, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. In Ecclesiastes 7, 20, he says, For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. You know, we can, we can look down our holy and righteous noses at the world and say that, they are guilty for God, and they are. We're all born that way. We all start out that way. You know, if, if you're going to keep the whole thing in context, he's particularly going to address the Jews here in this passage because the Jews thought they were righteous. You know, a lot of people think they're good. They're righteous in God's sight. Pharisees thought they were. Genesis chapter five, or chapter six, verses five through eight. I, I had this sometimes I think strange thoughts, but as I was thinking about this the other day, in this passage, in Genesis chapter six, in verses five through eight, it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every imagination of thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It repented the Lord that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man who have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made man. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, what we often don't think about is here that it wasn't that Mo Noah never sinned. It wasn't that Noah never offended God. It was that Noah judged himself and prepared himself to meet God. And, you know, in putting it in context, thou art there excusable, inexcusable, old man, whosoever thou art that judgest. Wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. So again, we're talking about hypocritical judgment here that doesn't consider its own personal guilt. The word judges here means to pronounce judgment or to subject to censure of those who act 
the part of judges or arbiters in the matters of common life. In other words, to pass judgment on the deeds and words of others universally without, a, without case. To judge unfairly, finding fault with others. It's hypocritical judgment. It doesn't consider its own personal guilt. And that's what, you know, when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, judge not that you be not judged, he was talking about you need to consider and judge yourself first. So that, you know, we have to understand that God's judgment is personal. We have to consider it personally. We are all, or were, guilty before God. Of course, if you're born again, God has taken your judgment in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We understand that. But we're all guilty before God and deserving of his judgment. Secondly, as we think, consider the judgment of God, its estimate is always according to truth. Notice verses 1 and 2 again. It says, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, where whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. Uh, and as we think about the judgment of God here in verse 2, we're talking about God's sentence against us. In verse 1, we're talking about man's judgment. In verse 2, we're talking about God's judgment. There's a great difference between the two. God's judgment is always reliable and truthful. There is no bias. If you're going to come to me for judgment, now I don't think I'm racist or biased. But you know what? If we're honest, all of us have a little bias or prejudice. Call it whatever you want. It's a fact of life. We're sinners. And there are people we're going to favor over others because we like them. I mean, there's some people I just don't like because I don't like their personalities. Woe is me, I know. We're all that way. Man is biased. God is not. So there's a vast difference between our judgment and God's judgment. His judgment is according to truth. And again, you think about it. Judgment presupposes that there is a standard. There has to be a standard for there to be judgment. But whose standard is going to be? Yours or mine? You know, and if there is a standard, we need to have the same standard for everyone. For that to be true, that standard must be set by someone other than man. Therefore, we need God's standard. That is the truth. The word of God. Thy word is truth. One commentator said, quote, Ignore this book and you will be ignorant of the true standards of life. Reject this book and you will reap the corrections of a negative judgment, unquote. Philip Brooks said this, quote, The only way to get rid of a past is to get a future out of it, unquote. 
You know, the only way to get a good future out of a bad past is to have the bad past judge, which will prevent the past from becoming your future. Or will prevent the future from being judged. Christ was our judgment for us. He was the judgment for, our, for all our sin and all of our past. So if you judge your past, and let me put it this way, if you judge your past, in other words, if you repent of your sin, what you're doing is judging your past. And receive Christ as Lord and Savior, you will find a new and good future. First John, First John 5.11 says, And this, this is the record. In other words, this is the standard. This is the standard. That God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. This is the record. That word record means it's the testimony. It's the evidence in a legal sense. It's the testimony for the judge, and that judge is God. And so God's judgment is going to be according to the truth. We have to submit to the truth. Thirdly, the judgment is inescapable. Notice verse 3. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 1 says, Cast thy bread upon the waters, and thou shalt find it after many days. The thought there is that what it's the same as what we read in Galatians chapter 6 and verses 7 and 8. What you sow, you will also reap. So what you cast out upon the waters is going to come back to you after many days. As Lester Roloff used to say, the chickens will come home to roost. You're going to reap what you sow. So what you do, we either receive a reward for or we receive retribution for. But, you know, in our, in our enlightened culture and wisdom of child training nowadays, we have tried to eradicate the law of sowing and reaping. I mean, after all, if one child passes, all need to pass. We call it no child left behind or common core. And if one child wins a prize, wins, all need a prize. There's no such thing as winners and losers. You know that cuts against the grain of the judgment, of judgment. You know, by this philosophy, we are destroying the need for self-judgment or self-examination and eradicating a reason for excellence or improvement. You know, what Mao Zedong did in China, uh, it, what else it doesn't tell you there is that he federalized all the farms. You know, that's what Russia did too. When uh, Lenin and Stalin took over, they federalized all the farms. 
my dad said to me one time, he said, he said, you know, in Russia, they have vast, beautiful wheat fields. And a lot of it just goes to waste. And there's people starving. Because it didn't matter whether the farmers harvested the wheat or not. They made the same amount of peasant wages. So who cares? If you don't own it, what interest do you have in it? If you aren't going to make anything off of it, what interest do you have in it? Who cares if everybody else starves? There's no, there's no reason to improve or to excel. Again, no self-examination or judgment. This is socialism. You know, and this child philosophy is socialistic. We are undermining a law of God and giving a false image of God and deceiving ourselves and our children into thinking, it doesn't matter. We all, we all make it in the end. We just get there different ways. And that is liberalism. No, we don't all just make it in the end. And we don't all get there different ways. We, we're all going to have to stand before the judgment of God. It is inescapable. Look at Ecclesi- go, to, go to the book of Ecclesiastes. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes chapter 11. So I read verse 1. It says, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Verse 11, or verse 9, I'm sorry. Ecclesiastes 11, 9 says, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. Let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart, in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee. Chapter 8, verse 11. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Though sinner do evil a hundred times and his days be prolonged, yet surely it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. But it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he feareth not God. In Hebrews 9, 27, it says, And as it is appointed unto men, wants to die, and after this, the judgment. You can live. You can do what you want. But just remember, you're going to have to face God. There's no escaping it. There's no escaping it. Fourthly, the judgment of God, it considers... It also considers God's goodness. Notice verse 4 of Romans 2. It says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, and forbearance, and loss of suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth to thee to repentance? You know, the judgment of God, of course, is the penalty for sin. The goodness of God leads us to the remedy for sin. So we might say that the goodness of God is the preventive for God's judgment. If you want to escape God's judgment, you have to receive of the riches of his goodness. 
You have to avail yourself of it. You must not despise it. The word despise here means to disdain or just think nothing of it. The word forbearance means a holding back, a delaying of judgment you deserve. God's holding it back. And again, the word long-suffering is similar. It means slowness in avenging wrongs or, or your offenses against him. You know, the Bible says in 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, some men count slackness, but is long-suffering gospel, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, if God was not long-suffering and forbearing, the minute we cross a certain line, he'd just kill us. Now, he wouldn't kill us. Our sin would kill us. You know, by rejecting the gospel, are we not despising him? You know, it's God's goodness that gives us extended opportunities. One commentator said this, quote, The goodness of God is gently drawing you, unquote. Roy Lauren in his commentary said, quote, God is drawing us and not driving us. He is using a cross and not a club. The, the means is love and not force. It is our privilege as a free moral agent to either accept or reject his goodness. Though God made the world, think of it, though God made the world, he could not save us unless we allowed him to. After all, the blackest sin in the category is not righteousness violated, but mercy despised. God made the world, and yet he will not save us unless we allow him to. Because he made us in his image with the power of choice. God's judgment is always precluded by his goodness. So it considers God's goodness. Thirdly, or fifthly, it is future as well as present. You know, we are we are dealing with an eternal judgment. But notice verse 5 says, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. You know, so we're dealing with an eternal judgment here, but really, we, as we think about it, that, what is this judgment for? What were we created for? What is our purpose in life? You know, God made us in his image, and he gave man dominion over the earth. So in a sense, you could say that man was to govern for the Lord. In cooperation with the Lord. He was to govern the earth for the Lord. How well have we done? Well, we know Adam sinned and rebelled against God. And it got so bad 
that God said he's going to destroy the earth. Destroy man. With Noah find grace. And after Noah, God again gave man a fresh start. And then into the Tower of Babel. He told them to multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And they all gathered around this one place and, and, and around the Tower of Babel and, and defiance again against God so God can find their languages. And so then God chose a man, Abraham, and a nation of Israel and, 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 and a people for his name. And they forsook God and sacrificed their children to the idols and the, the, of the, the Canaanites. And God brought the Babylonians. You know, man's history has been one long war against God. He has not fulfilled the purpose God made him. You might say it's a misspent life. It's a wasted life. Now the goodness of God through his son is drawing us back to him. And I want you to notice it is, and, and, and yet man is still rejecting and hardening their hearts and going their own way, adding sin to sin like Cain. And, and it says here, treasuring up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath. I want, to, I want to note a couple of things here. You know, to treasure up means to heap to yourselves. Heap up to yourselves. But I want you to notice it says here it is the, the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Now, as we think about the righteous judgment of God, God's judgment is not vindicative or arbitrary. In other words, it's not subject to individual will or without restriction. It is, it's not a burst of divine temper or a passion of rage. It's the effect of the law of God. It's the effect of His righteousness. You know, Natural law says, if I do certain things, it's going to hurt. There's going to be judgment. You know, if I walk over to that door and open it and stick my hand in the side of the door and pull it shut, what's going to happen? I'm going to reap the consequences or the effect of the law, the fact that you put your door in, your hand in a door, it's going to hurt. Oh, man, past friend of mine had a, his, his uh, I think it was his father-in-law was a Christian scientist or something. And he said, pain's just your imagination. He said, I reached over and grabbed the hair in his arm and just jerked it. He said, ah, what'd you do that for? He said, what's the problem? I thought it was an imagination. You see, that's the natural effect of a law. And the judgment of God is the natural effect or revelation of his righteousness that comes because of persistence in unrighteousness. It's, it's, you might say it this way. It is the effect of efforts to hold a world in order. God is trying to hold a world in order. And again, 
I want you to notice that this wrath is spoken of after God speaks of His goodness, of His forbearance, of His long-suffering. You know, God does not will or wish it on us. It is the reward of our unrighteousness. Of our treasuring up ourselves under the wrath of Almighty God. So, let's notice, notice the sixth thing. Verse, number six, the judgment is based on divine justice. Notice verse six, who will render to every man according to his deeds. Again, this is, this is the basement for just judgment. It does not say for our deeds, but according to our deeds. You know, our salvation is not on a barter basis. We don't make a deal with God. You know, it's not a merit or demerit system. It's on the basis of our deeds. Now, and the reason for that is our conduct is a visible expression of our character. What you do is proof of what you are. What you do is proof of what you are. One commentator said this, quote, The principle upon which the eternal distinction between men is biological, in other words, it is whether he has life or not, new life. That new life in Christ is what he's talking about. So, so you know, we can say it this way. No person is going to be lost because he lied. But, if lying is a habit of your life, it's the index of your, of your character. And Revelation 21.8 says, all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire with birth. So if it's a practice of your life, it's an indicator that you don't have the life of Christ. But telling one lie, or telling a lie, is not going to send you to hell. Any more than no person is going to be saved because they told the truth. You know, a lot of people, unsaved people tell the truth. That isn't going to save you. But saved people have to tell the truth. See, it's not salvation. It's, it's based on, it's according to our deeds. This judgment is according to our deeds. It's based on his divine justice, not according to to our, you know, it's not a barter or a merit or demerit basis. You know, Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy saved us by washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. You know, our salvation is by receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but our standing is a matter of related life. It's according to our deeds. And then number seven, God's judgment is impartial. It's impartial. Notice verse 11. It says, for there is no respect of persons with God. The word respect here means partiality. The fault of one who, when called on to give judgment, has respect of the outward circumstances of men and not to their intrinsic merits. And so prefers as the 
more worthy one who is rich, high-born, powerful, to another who does not have these same qualities. One person described it this way, there's no acceptance of face. You know, I mentioned earlier that you and I are biased. You know, James chastised the Jews that were scattered abroad because he said you're partial in your judgment. I mean, you have, a, you have a rich man come in to your assembly and you give him the best seat and you have a poor man and poor raiment and you give him the lowest seat. Are you not then partial in yourselves? Or showing respect to persons? You know, with the Lord, you know, circumstances of birth, class and society, wealth, training, are no credentials of favor. doesn't matter. God will not say to you, who are you? But what are you? It's not who are you, it's what are you. What have you done with the life I have given you? Yet God's no respecter of persons. You know, some of the greatest men in the Bible suffered severe judgment. What did Moses desire probably more than anything his entire life? What did he work for? Go into the land of promise. He was a man that talked with God face to face. And yet because he didn't obey the Lord and struck the walk twice, he was forbidden to enter the promised land. David was called a man after God's own heart. David suffered. And again, he brought it on himself. Greatly because of his sin. See, God's judgment is impartial. It's impartial. First John 5, 11, 12 says, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Eternity is a matter of eternal life. You have the Son, you have life. And if we are fitted with that life, the life of God, we are fitted for that eternity. And we are therefore prepared for the judgment that we must face. See, we must all face the judgment of God. We don't have to fear it. We don't have to fear it. 
We can face a holy and righteous God because Christ has taken our sin, our judgment for us. He has paid it in full. He was judged at Calvary for us. As the song says, Calvary covers it all. My past with a sin and stain. It's all covered. It's all washed away. If you've received him as your Lord and Savior. You see, you can face the judgment of God with assurance and security. By availing yourselves of the riches of his goodness. How is it with you today? Are you enjoying the riches of his goodness? Or are you treasuring up the wrath of God against yourself? How is it with you today? choice is ours.